Good morning and welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Connie. And I'm Danny. And we invite you to come and shelter with us in this season of gratitude and response to the great news that Christ has been raised. Let us worship God. Come on in. Now hear the word of the Lord from Matthew's gospel, beginning in Matthew 9, 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samarians but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. You received without payment. Give without payment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from the book of Romans. We are reading Romans 5, 1 through 8. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were yet weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves God's love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a man who's crossing the street, and he's uh, maybe 10 steps in this street when he hears the screeching tires of a car coming around the corner a few blocks ahead. Well, he thinks, I, I think I can make it, and picks up his pace, and he noticed that the car seems to be on a trajectory to hit him straight on. So he goes a little bit farther. He's about halfway. The car is getting closer, and the car changes its trajectory toward him again, even though he changed. And so he's, he moves back. The car goes his way. He moves this way. The car goes, and he finally just is not sure what to do. He just freezes in the middle. And right at the last second, as the car is about to hit him, it swerves around him, stops, the window rolls down, and it's a squirrel driving. And he says, it's not as easy as it looks, is it? Indeed. Uh, today, one of the things we are talking about are those times when we feel like that squirrel trying to get across a crowded, traffic-laden road where we go a little bit and we're not sure something happens and we're skittish, do we turn back, do we go ahead? Sooner or later, our luck runs out and we feel like that squirrel. But before we jump into that, let's look at Romans. So we're in the beginning of Romans and Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote Romans, uh, one of his master works. It is a wonderful, filled with goodness book. Paul was writing this uh, to uh, this church, to this city that was dealing with um, new Gentile Christians versus Jewish converted uh, uh, new Christians that were converted from Judaism and how they continue to butt heads. Do you have to do this? Do you have to do that? Paul is trying to give them some help through the book of Romans to give them uh, a way forward. And so we're very early in this book, in the fifth chapter, and this is a great verse. One through eight should really go through 11, but it's, it's like pulling cookies or brownies right out of the oven. Got that perfect crisp on the outside, and you bite into it, and that gooey chocolate goodness is in the middle. That's what this verse is. It is all full of gooey, yummy, God's chocolate delight. So let's, let's kind of take a look and, and walk through this. So in the beginning, and again, this is a two-day series on peace. Today, the peace as we get uh, from God through Christ, and then next week, how we live that out. But there's much more, so let's, let's take a jump in. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, boom, let's stop right there. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, so that is a statement that indicates that this justification that we inherit 
that we obtain through faith has already been done. Since we are justified, it's already been done, already happened. So what does that mean? Well, if you think of the word justify, it means we are made right. It means we have been made acceptable. And when did that happen? Absolutely, Christ on the cross. And then Easter, the resurrection. Through that event, we have been made right. We have been made acceptable. What did each of us do to deserve that? Not a thing. Which one of us was so successful? Which one of us was so charming and filled with gifts for the world that God looked down and said, you got it, buddy. Not a one. More rightly, the relationship had become so bad between God and people because we continued to turn away. It's almost as if we became enemies of God through our relentless pursuit and addiction to sin. We know sin doesn't feed us, but we seek it with all of our hearts. We know sin destroys us or at best keeps us from being who we're supposed to be in Christ, and yet we seek it first. God's on the list, I hope, but often down the list, behind self-gratification, behind doing those things that make us feel good. And that by itself is not sinful, but often inherent in some of those things is sinfulness that separates us from God. And so God could have looked down and said, None of them deserve anything good that I have to give. I've been with these people for some time. They keep turning away from me, but I made a promise and I am their creator and I love them. So despite the way they run from me, I'm going to take care of them. And God sent Christ to justify us, to make us right, to make us acceptable through the cross and through the resurrection. So that has been done, again, not by anything that we deserve of or of our own doing, but solely because of God, even though we didn't deserve it. Remember Jonah? Jonah and the whale? Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Why didn't Jonah want to listen to God who told him to go to Nineveh and tell the people that they're doing wrong and they better shape up or there's going to be trouble from God. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, not because he was against God or didn't want to do what God told him, but because he hated the Ninevites. They were enemies. They were pagans. They were those who did terrible things and didn't deserve God's justification. And yet God said, these are my people too. And I need you to go do what I asked you to do first and share with them what I'm telling you. We have been those Ninevites that have been enemies of others and sometimes even God. And yet God reached out to us and said, they too are my children and I love them. 
So I'm going to send them all Jesus. I'm going to send them all my son. I'm going to send them all a savior. So all they have to do is follow, believe, accept what I, this gift, unwrap this gift that I've given the world. And so God sent Christ to justify us all. So that is past tense, already been done, did it. And we're justified by our faith. So when we believe, that present is open. We accept that and we are justified. So that's just the first sentence. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, again, past tense, already done, complete gift from God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the gifts of our being justified, one of the gifts through our faith in believing is that we're given peace. If you think back to Christmas, one of the things, uh, one of the ways that we, through Isaiah, that we talk about this baby Jesus, this new savior and king of the world is Prince of Peace. And you say, well, preacher, that was thousands of years ago and the world hasn't exactly been a peaceful place. And you're right. But when we proclaim Christ as Prince of Peace, it is not in the sense that all wars will end, no one will suffer, no natural law that works against us, whether that be accidents or diseases or illnesses. The peace doesn't apply to those things. It doesn't apply to conflict. It doesn't apply to crime and violence and hatred. It applies to our opportunity to claim the peace that Christ justified us with on his cross and at the resurrection. The peace that we have is the ability from Christ to be present within us. An inner peace that we need to have in place first before we can act and enact outer peace to the world. This inner peace is such a crucial part because it means that we believe that God is with us and in us that God loves us, has a plan for us, and has given us what we need to live our lives as people of peace. So we'll get back to peace. Uh, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So where does peace come? It's through Christ. So, so far we are justified and given peace through Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. Again, stop right there. So through Christ, we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. How many of us see that we are surrounded by God's grace all the time. 
And it's in which we stand, not even on which we stand. It's a pillar, yes, but this grace surrounds us. And akin to justification, grace is God's unmerited love for us. Again, we didn't do a darn thing to earn this. God made us and said, I love you. You are special to me, and I am going to take care of you. And through the gift of Jesus Christ, you will have grace. That is such good news that no matter how often we turn away, no matter how awful the things that we do and think are, no matter how we neglect God in search of our own selfish pursuits, God's grace surrounds us. We stand in the midst of it. Paul often starts his epistles, his letters with grace and peace to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He uses those two things, grace and peace, to greet those that he is in correspondence with or in presence with as he is speaking and preaching. Grace and peace are gifts when we have faith and believe And we're in the present tense with peace and grace. Christ justified us and now every day we stand in grace and are given peace when we choose to accept it. Well, okay. Well, this next part gets a little awkward. It is not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. Boast in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. It's an odd phrase, isn't it? It's where we get into this notion of suffering. We boast in our sufferings. Why do we boast in our suffering? Who wants to suffer some more so that we can boast and say how in the depth of despair and suffering we are? Anybody? Not me. We all get enough suffering in our lives. We're all trying to avoid it at all costs. Why in the world does Paul talk about suffering as boasting? Why would we ever want to brag about how much we have suffered? Well, if you go all the way through this, if we stop there and say, but we also boast in our sufferings, and if we go down to the second part of chapter, verse 5, we can read it like this. We'll pick it up with because. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. We boast, friends, not because we're trying to win a contest. We boast because we know that in our sufferings, God has poured God's love into us through the Holy Spirit. That we are not alone in these sufferings. We're not left alone. That we are not condemned in some disaster or difficult trial of some sort, 
and then on, are left on our own to live or die, to figure it out, to sink or swim, but rather that we know that God's love has been poured into us, poured into us through the Holy Spirit. That is a gift. So what else does Paul tell us about suffering itself? Well, he says suffering produces endurance. So let's think about that suffering to endurance. If you're going through something difficult, it pushes you to find a way through it. Really, you have no choice. If you are dealing with something, you have to deal with it. We are suffering in a COVID-19 world, and we don't really have a choice. We have to endure this and get through it. Maybe it's job, maybe it's health, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's financial. There are so many ways that things happen to us that produces endurance when we work the problem and wait for God to bring us through with our participation produces endurance. And what does that endurance do? It produces character. It can shape us. Often, it is through the way that we respond to suffering that we know who we really are and what we really believe. And often, like the refiner's fire, through suffering and endurance, God takes those opportunities to mold us into something stronger, into something more faithful, into the person God would have us be. Didn't, God didn't cause that for us to learn and grow, but God uses these opportunities through suffering and endurance to make us Christians who, when we are threatened or see suffering in the world, we respond with Christian character. So there's a, if you remember John Madden, some of you sports fans, football fans, uh, John Madden played football in the 50s, was drafted by an NFL team, and in training camp before he ever started, he busted his knee, never played professional again, and went to coaching. Seen as one of the great coaches in the NFL tradition, won a Super Bowl with the Oakland Raiders in 1976 and had a storied career and then shifted to commentating. Most of us know John Madden as being with Al Michaels on Monday Night Football. Um, if you remember, if you watch ever the Thanksgiving games, he was the one who did the turkey legs to the great, to the good players and would have a, a turducken there on Thanksgiving. My Cajun friends know what that is, a turkey wrapped up in a duck in a chicken or some combination of all that together. He never flew. He always had his bus because he refused to fly. Anyway, one of the things that John Madden, a term that he coined about football is Y-A-C, that is yards after contact. And what he was talking about was running backs who are the ones who stand behind the quarterback and while they can receive and run most of the time, in the traditional sense, the quarterback hands the running back the ball and they run forward. 
hoping that the offensive line makes a hole for them, a way for them, or sometimes they have to blaze their own trail. Sometimes they try the outside, sometimes through the middle. But this measure that John Madden talked about, YAC yards after contact, was a measure of not only the individual, but the effort that that individual put forward. So in his understanding, the running back has the ball, and when they are first met with an opposing player on the defense who stops them or seeks to wrap them up in any way, that's contact. And it's from that point that they would measure how many yards then does that running back get. Because that running back has the opportunity to say, I've got a few yards and somebody's coming fast and they're going to take me out. I'm going down. Oops, I tripped. Or someone could say after they got hit once, well, somebody's got me. I might as well go down. I got the rest of the game to play. Not going to tire myself out. But what Madden really loved to talk about was when somebody got the ball and, and ran and was stopped by one or two or three, but they kept going. Yards after contact helps you to see the drive, the will, the heart, the skill, the stick to of that particular athlete. So that became a measure of how we talk about rating running backs. And we move this into our conversation about suffering and endurance and character. When we encounter suffering, that's like us being hit by the first defensive player. We are that running back. And now how we react as Christians dictates our future and our character. Will we stop and fall? We are out and done. Let that suffering have its way with us. And sometimes we are overcome. We all get depressed and anxious. But do we get back up? Do we seek the help that we need to get back up if we were knocked down or at that first engagement by a defender or whatever, that trial? Do we hold on tight to the ball and keep our legs moving? Except for us, we don't hold on to the ball. We hold on to the peace and grace of Jesus Christ that is inherently dwells within us. So we need to keep our legs going. Sometimes we can't do that on our own. Sometimes we need help, not only from Christ, but from others on our team, from others we don't know. When suffering takes us over, it's okay to stand and to ask for help. But yards after contact shows us who we are as Christians, when we engage contact in the world that is conflict, that is difficulty, despair, hardship, injustice, any, anything that you want to put in that category, how do we respond as Christians? What are our yards after contact? How do we keep moving forward? And Paul tells us, has already told us, in the past, it's because you've been justified and made right 
by God in Christ whose grace and peace dwells within you. You may be down, but you are never out. With that dwelling within you, you can continue to keep your legs moving and continue to work through the difficulty. With help sometimes, sometimes you can find a way, always with Christ in the center. And then the future is hope. So this justification, this grace and peace, and this suffering, endurance, character, what about it? It produces hope and a hope that doesn't disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So know that the future, friends, is hope, but it's not a fluffy hope like I hope my team does well. I hope my car starts today. I hope dinner is good. This is a hope that is rooted in God's promises that have already been kept. So we need not fear that hope is not a reality in God's kingdom because it is. And we are a people of hope. So know that you have been justified, past tense, been made right. Christ has filled you and given you gifts of peace and grace should we seek it through our faith. Know that these sufferings produce endurance and endurance character and character leads us to the future. That is God's hope, that God will continue to honor God's promises. We are not on our own. We don't do this alone. We rejoice in the fact that God, past, present, and future, gets us this piece of peace through the risen Christ and acts even through our most difficult moment. So take heart, friends. Peace, grace, justification, hope, and love have all been given to us this and every day. Let us live accordingly by the one who has called us. Hallelujah. Amen.